All right, well, let's take our Bibles and let's go to Romans chapter 14, please. Romans chapter 14. And we've been looking at this series, Renewed. As you turn to Romans 14 and take a look at uh, your sermon handout today, we do want to say our theme verse, which is Romans 12 and verse number 2. Romans 12 and verse 2 is our theme verse. Let's read it together. Romans 12 and verse 2. Good and strong, if you would with me, begin. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So remember, we come to Christ by faith, offering him nothing. We don't change our lives. We don't clean ourselves up. We don't get all the sin out of our lives so that we're accepted by Jesus. No, we are completely accepted because of God's grace, but then he begins to change us and renew us and do this work. And that's what these last chapters in the book of Romans are about. Well, I want you to notice today in Romans chapter number 14, in Romans 14, the theme is an interesting one this morning, and you see it in the title, and that is this, when Christians disagree. When Christians disagree. Did you realize that? That Christians sometimes get into disagreements? That they don't always see things eye to eye? And a few of you might be looking at me right now thinking, yeah, I've had a disagreement or two with you over the years. Bill, why are you shaking your head so much? Can you, you could just let it go, you know? You could, no, I'm, I'm giving you a hard time. When Christians disagree. You know, if we are renewed by the Holy Spirit, if we are renewed by the gospel, then the way that we handle these disagreements should be different than how disagreements play out in the world. Right? If the gospel is fully transforming our lives, then, then he's transforming how we relate to each other. Unity is easy when everybody agrees. But it's difficult when we get to areas of disagreement. Now, let's see what the scriptures say. Now, I want you to say this first of all. It said, uh, in, in the introduction, I put this little paragraph. Remember, first and foremost, that the church is on a mission to see lives renewed by faith. After all, that's what Jesus left us here to do. He left us here to reach people with the gospel. Specifically, we proclaim the gospel to help people come to faith, and then we carefully teach the Bible to help people grow in their faith. That's the mission in a nutshell. Jesus said to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He also said to teach them all things. Very simply, the Bible, the, the, the mandate and the mission of the church is to invite people to receive Christ by faith and then to teach them how to grow in their faith. That's what it's all about. But while we are on this mission, there are times when faithful Christians disagree. It's in these moments that we must never let our disagreements distract us from the heart of our mission. Let's see what the Bible says. Look with me in verse number one of Romans chapter 14. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, 
but not to, could you read these two words with me? But not to doubtful disputations. That's a mouthful right there, isn't it? Doubtful disputations. Well, what do you mean? Well, verse number two. For one believeth that he may eat all things. Another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. Do you see the, the two verbs, the action words in there? There could be some despising potentially. And then there could potentially be some what? First, there could be some despising, and then there could be some judging. And we're commanded not to do this. For God hath received him. Verse 4, who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up. For God is able to make him stand. Verse 5, one man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded, four words, let's read them out loud, fully persuaded where? In his own mind. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Let's finish together. Ready? Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. Let's pray. God, I ask that you'd help us today. Lord, we need your help to understand this passage. It's an important topic. And I need your help to teach it carefully, and we as a church need to be yielded to the scriptures, so please help us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, I've been thinking about this passage quite a bit in preparation for this. I knew it was coming, obviously. And we have seen, both in the course of church history and specifically in recent times, a lot of sources of division that have come into the church over exactly what Paul is speaking about in Romans 14. Not, I'm not saying specifically in our church. I'm speaking about the church corporately in America. There's been a lot of division that has taken place, even among Bible-believing churches. And what happens when that takes place is we lose a sense of the mission that we spoke about earlier. We lose a sense of the fact that we are called to the gospel. We are called to reach people with the gospel. We are called to help people grow in the gospel. So I want us to see just a few basic points. We'll look at the first 12 verses this morning. But number one, if you flip over your notes today, first and foremost, the Bible indicates that disagreements will arise. You might think, boy, oh no. Now, now how many people out there are you, you, you can raise your hand if you're bold enough to do this. Of course, what I'm going to ask, you'll, you might just do it. Where are my confrontational people out there? You got, oh, <laughs> the hands, of course your hands just went right up, right? Because you're like, yeah, that's me. You got a problem with that, right? So th there are, some of us are, are just wired to be like, boom, what's the problem, 
let's deal with it, you know? And, and we're just confrontational. And I'm not even saying that in a bad way. It's the way some people are wired. But then there's another problem. Some people, they just hate confrontation. They will avoid it, avoid it. Where are my confrontation avoiders out there? Anybody want to admit it? You're like, okay, I'm just going to let it stew for a long time. It's just going to simmer and simmer into a seething pot until it boils over. Some of us are wired to, to be confrontational. Some of us are wired to avoid confrontation. The fact is this, regardless of how you're, you're, you're wired, regardless of your predisposition, the Bible tells us to expect that people are going to have disagreements. Even in its own church, there are people who root for the Yankees and people who root for the Red Sox. I mean, it's bound to happen. Now, speaking of that, all of you, maybe not all of you, but most of you have heard horrible stories about churches who have split over things like the color of the carpet. How many of you have heard things like that? I just want to say right off the bat, that is complete foolishness. And we're not talking about that today. There are some things like, like, like that that just, that's just immaturity completely. But on the other hand, there are, there are a next, there's a next level of disagreement about things that seem to be related to the Bible, things that are important to people, but Christians don't always see eye to eye on those things. Well, look what it says here in verse number one, Romans 14, 1. Him that is weak in the faith, receive, but not to doubtful disputations. In other words, there are going to be people who are weak in their faith. They have not, they have not grown to a level of maturity. They are specifically going to have some things that, uh, that, that they don't want in their lives. And we'll see this, how it plays out in a few minutes. The very first instruction is this. How should you treat someone that you would say as, boy, they're really making a big deal out of this. They're making a big deal out of this issue, but it's not a big deal. First of all, what should our attitude toward that person be? Welcoming. To receive that person. Why? Because the mission is to help the person what? Not stay weak in the faith, but grow in the faith. Lift them up, exactly. Welcome the weak in faith, but then he gives a qualifier. He says, but when you do that, don't engage in arguments about areas, I'm going to put it this way, about areas of uncertainty. Areas of uncertainty. In fact, there's some examples here in the Bible that you saw. Look at verse number two. These were some uncertain areas. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Now you're probably scratching your head if you've never studied this before, and you're like, why were they arguing about meat versus vegetables? What in the world is going on here? We actually have to understand the background from which many of these early Roman believers were coming from. You had two groups of people primarily in the church. Some of you might be aware of this, some of you might not be. The two groups, and I'm talking ethnic and cultural groups that were in this church, these churches in Rome. The two groups that were th these ethnic or cultural groups in the group, first of all, one group would be who? You would have the, well, I heard, I heard it on both sides. You'd have those from a Greek culture or the Roman Empire, the Gentiles. 
And then you'd have people that grew up in the Jewish faith, in the Jewish tradition. Now, what's interesting is in the Jewish tradition and in the Gentile tradition, there were a lot of customs, a lot of religious customs surrounding food, right? In the Jewish tradition, following the letter of the Old Testament law, there were very strict dietary guidelines of what was clean and what was unclean. There were certain foods that were forbidden. But then the Gentiles, they had a little bit different perspective on their food that they would eat. It wasn't about things being forbidden and things being accepted. Does anyone know what their issue with their food was? They would use it in their worship. In their pagan worship, you would go into a temple or even they would have their idols in their homes and they would ceremonially eat their food, their meat, as a dedication to the idols. Now, all these people from different traditions, from different backgrounds, now they are all mushed together in the thing called the church, where there's neither Jew or Gentile. There's not slave and there's not free. There's not male or female. We are all one in Christ. But as they're one in Christ, some of the, some of the Jewish people in their traditions were like, man, did you see that guy? He just ate a ham sandwich. Could he really be a follower of God? And then somebody over here uh, uh, is, is looking around and they're like, did you see? Did you see that, that steak that he just ate? Doesn't he realize that he bought that from a, from a butcher who worships the pagan gods? And he ate that? Oh, how could you do such a thing? And so on each side, they're very concerned with how the other navigates this situation. They're very concerned with it. And Paul says this, and there's actually some more teaching on this that we'll see actually in the second half next week. But what Paul just wants to get a, a baseline here, and that is this, that it's okay. Oh, and some people, the thing with the vegetables, we're, we're trying to figure that one out. In Bible, some Bible teachers think that there were some people that they just said, boy, if there's such an argument about meat, do you know what the real spiritual thing is to do? Just don't eat any meat. Let's just, they were like the super strict, right? I mean, they, they were like, well, if somebody might get the wrong impression, you just shouldn't eat any meat at all. And so there's all these differing perspectives, and these weren't disagreements over, like I said, the color of the paint or the carpet on the floor. These are disagreements about things that people felt very strongly about except at the time had there been any certain instruction given to the church regarding those issues. Another issue was holidays. You saw that in verse, uh, verse number five and six. So a lot of the Jewish believers, they said, well, we should still celebrate these holidays. We should still celebrate the Jewish festivals. And others said, no, we're not under the law of Moses. We don't need to celebrate those anymore. We have Christ. He is, he is everything. Does the Bible ever say if it's, if it's wrong or right to celebrate Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur or Passover? Doesn't say it's wrong, doesn't say it's right. And he says here, one regards the day, one doesn't. Now, some of us would just wish 
Some people just wish, well, I just wish that God had given us, you know, a complete list, right? Like maybe four or five hundred things, you know, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. Well, he did that once in the Old Testament. (laughs) He did that once. But now he prefers, he chooses, he has sovereignly chosen not to work through a list of commands, although there are some specific commands. Just give me a minute to get there. But rather than regulate every single aspect of his life, he's given us something better than a law. He's given us grace and the Holy Spirit to guide us. But we're still human, and we're still limited by our understanding and our interpretations. So what happens when disagreements arise? Now, I wanna, I'm going to take a big risk here. I'm going to take a big risk, and I want to update this to the 21st century. People are getting a little nervous because you see I have these two lists here, you know, and I haven't filled any of them out. You know, it's like, well, what what is he going to say? I think it helps us to understand this, that as we look at our renewed lives, as we try to live for Christ, there are things that the Bible is crystal clear regarding. I want to give you a few examples. Now, the lists I'm going to give you are by no means exhaustive. Because some of you will be like, oh, why did he leave that out? That's interesting. Why did, that's not, if that's your attitude, then you're kind of missing the whole point of the whole talk, right? Look, think about this. Think about what the Bible is crystal clear about. It's a pretty, pretty good-sized list. The Bible is crystal clear that salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. That's not up for debate, interpretation. It's crystal clear that that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It's crystal clear that salvation is through Christ alone. It's crystal clear that the importance of the Great Commission, that we are commanded to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. The infallibility, the perfection of the word of God is crystal clear. We don't need to disagree about the perfection of this book. He told us all scripture is given by inspiration of God. The necessity of the local church is a scriptural certainty. The proper order of the family is crystal clear in the scriptures, not an area of debate. The sanctity of human life is not a debatable area. The creation of the universe and all that is in it by God, as recorded in the book of Genesis, is an area of scriptural certainty. The commands in the Bible to sexual purity and to moral purity, those commands spelled out in the New Testament are very crystal clear. We don't need to debate those areas. The fact that we are called to live a holy life before God and the world, these are areas of scriptural certainty. And when we come together and we unite around truth, that is the picture of a unified church. That we look at what the scriptures say, and we say, listen, these areas are not up for debate. In the book of Jude, we're challenged to earnestly contend. That means to fight for the faith once delivered to the saints. There are aspects of the faith that are non-negotiable. They are not for sale. They are not for reinterpretation to suit a modern world. They're just not, because we have them on the authority of God's word. But then there are areas of scriptural uncertainty. 
Now, do we understand what uncertainty means? I think you do, but just stop for a minute. I didn't say areas of unimportance. I didn't, see, I didn't say areas that we shouldn't be concerned about. But these are areas where the Bible is not crystal clear, but nonetheless, churches, even in recent years, have been divided over these things. You say, well, what kind of things are you talking about? Well, how about this? The appropriateness of vaccination and mask wearing. I've seen Christians and churches divide over that issue. That's exactly the kind of thing we're talking about here in the New Testament, here in Romans chapter 14. Many health and scientific matters. The extent to which a Christian should be politically involved. These are things that the Bible does not clearly give us a program for. We didn't say that they're unimportant things. But there is a level of uncertainty with them. Yet Christians divide over them. Interestingly enough, I, I had a, a friend of mine on a forum. It was a, a Facebook post where he made a comment. And I just asked a question about some of these kind of issues. And he actually felt that they should be thrown into the church. And his feedback to me in a public comment, was that any pastor who feels this way about one of these issues on here, he named an issue, I would question if they're really qualified to be a pastor. It's like, wow. And it was, I won't tell you which one, it was one of the issues that I've just listed here. There are other issues that the Bible is not... Now, do, do you have opinions about any of the things that I just mentioned? Would anyone like to share? Oh, sorry, no. <clears throat> we do. We, we have opinions about these things. So it's great, to, it's great to look at the scripture in the theoretical or philosophical, but it's important that the rubber hits the road sometimes. And we realize that there are these things in the book of Romans were serious issues that, these churches that this church faced in their day. We might look back and be like, oh, this is an easy one. Well, for one thing, we have more scripture than they had at that time. The apostles hadn't finished writing the Bible. And then um, they had a different cultural background. There are other areas of uncertainty. The um, fashion trends and styles. There are some Christians that have very strong opinions about what should be worn and what should not be worn. The style of worship within a local church. Education choices for families, be it, I've seen Christians divide over public school versus Christian school versus homeschool. These are things that the Bible doesn't give us clear teaching on. Again, please don't misunderstand. I, some of these are important issues. There is biblical insight to help us navigate those waters. But, but, it's not an area of crystal clear certainty. Participation in culture and the arts and entertainment. These are issues that have divided Christians. And these are the types of things that Paul is speaking to in Romans chapter 14. Disagreements will arise. Be prepared for these kinds of disagreements. 
but don't let them distract from the, the areas of certainty and the mission of the church advancing. So disagreements will arise, but secondly, we are then called to reject judgmentalism. To reject judgmentalism. Now, obviously, these, this teaching on, judge, on non-judgmentalism can be twisted to suit people's preferences. That's not the point of the passage. In fact, I'd like to show you or talk for a minute about good judgment versus judgmentalism. In fact, look at verse number, let's just read verses 3 and 4 again. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. That's an attitude in the heart. That's, that looks down on someone because of their choice in these matters. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up. For God is able to make him stand. Now, you could find, obviously, different definitions of these words. So, I'm, I'm using these words in a specific manner for the, for the message today. So, I'm just providing these, these definitions for clarity. There is a proper use of judgment. In fact, in the book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says, He that is spiritual judges all things. Proper judgment is using biblical discernment to evaluate my lifestyle choices. In other words, I have to make a decision, and it's a difficult decision. Maybe it's something that I have to choose. Do I allow this in my family with my children, or do I not? It's one of those areas that we spoke about. Well, I'm going to make a judgment. I'm going to look to the scriptures. I'm going to seek the Lord in prayer, and I'm going to ask God to give me clarity in my conscience. That is making a judgment, and that's a healthy thing to do. We all need to use discernment as we evaluate the decisions and the choices we make in our lives. The difference I would say today with judgmentalism is this. That judgment that I make leads me then to a sense of moral or spiritual superiority toward others. Some of you have been the recipient of someone's moral superiority over you. Some of you and some of us. We have sometimes acted as if we were superior than others because of our judgments. What happens when I make a judgment for my life and for my family, and I say, you know what? For our home, we feel that it would best honor God to make this decision. Maybe it involves our entertainment choices. Maybe it involves our activities. But then I make that decision, I make that judgment, and at that point, it's coming from a good heart, a heart that wants to please God. The same with the people here that they're like, they made a conscious decision. I just, I just don't think it would be right to eat that meat. I just really feel that I need to, make, to celebrate that holiday. I just really feel that I need to do that. But what happens then is we take our judgment and it causes us to feel superior to those who make a different decision on that issue. And we view them differently. That is not an evidence of God's renewed work in our lives. Judgmentalism. Now, I love this point here. Paul goes right to the gospel, which he always does, and he shows us that the gospel defeats that attitude of judgmentalism. In fact, look at this. 
He says in verse number, verse number, the end of verse number three, after he said, let not him which eateth, let him not judge, or the one who eats not, judge not him that eateth. Look what he says. For God hath what? Received him. Boy, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be pretty scary to reject someone that God has received by his grace? Wouldn't it be pretty bad to reject someone who, who, who God says, no, they are my child. They've made that decision out of a pure heart of worship toward me. And then I would say, but I cannot accept them. The gospel of grace, after all, isn't the gospel the fact that God accepts us not because of our good choices, but despite our sinful choices? God has received them. The gospel trumps our judgmentalism. And then in verse number four, think about this. When we judge others, we claim authority that only belongs to God. We claim authority that only belongs to God. Verse four, who art thou that judgest another man's servant? Now this is not the, the word often as you see it translated, sometimes servant refers to a slave. This is not the word for a slave. This is the word for a household servant. It would be their occupation. This would be servant in the employer-employee type relationship within household. And so can you imagine if you walked into someone's uh, place of employment and you started directing all of the employees on how they should go about doing things? Some of us are like, oh, we're not supposed to do that at the restaurant. No, you're not actually supposed to do that. Or how about this one? How many of you have had somebody uninvited step in and tell your kids what to do? How many of you have experienced something like that? That's the heart of this here. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This person doesn't answer to me. This servant is not my servant. This servant over here is the servant of who? God. When we step in outside of the parameters of scripture and we say, well, I think that you should do this and I can't believe that you would do that. I, I, I just find that appalling. And you call yourself a Christian as if God is in heaven. And it's not as if he literally is in heaven saying, who are you? Who are you that you would judge someone else's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. And in fact, Paul says in this scenario, God's actually going to hold him up. God is able to make him stand. So as we look at these issues, we need to be very careful. And remember this. It goes in both directions. Somebody might share with you their view that is very, in your mind, very permissive. And you might think, oh, well, you know, I think that's, I, I can't believe they would live their life that way. That's a despising or judgmentalism. But it could all, it, I've seen it the other way. I've seen, I've experienced, there are some Christians who have extremely high standards, if you call them, in their lives. They dress certain ways. I've known Christians, they, they, they dress super, like, uber conservatively. They don't watch television. They cut these things out of their lives. Now, I don't have that same conviction, but I have seen people that then have moved into, well, I live now in a, I live by grace. 
and then they look judgmentally toward people who haven't found their level of freedom. That's just as wrong. Judgmentalism cuts both ways. The heart should be, let's see all people grow in faith to honor God. Disagreements will arise. So the Bible says that we need to reject the judgmental attitude. But it all comes down to this. He spends the last verses really showing us this. The ultimate, the ultimate principle to remember is that we all are surrendered to the lordship of Christ. We all are surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ. In fact, look what it says in, we should pick it up in verse number five now. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. This is the idea of personal convictions. Now, now it's also important that we don't just live a, hey, nothing matters Christian life. I'm saved by grace, so I'll live however I want. We are called to be fully persuaded. What I'm doing is going to bring honor to God. I believe that. Well, then be fully persuaded in your own mind. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. Verse 7. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. Whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Now continue with me in verse 9. Look what happens. For to this end, or for this purpose... Christ both died and rose and revived. You see how he describes the, Paul gives us some extra emphasis here on the gospel. This is why we have the gospel. Jesus died. He was buried. He rose. Did I mention he came back to life, he says, for this reason, that he might be what? Lord. Lord. Jesus died, Jesus rose, yes, to save us, but to prove that he is now Lord of all. So when we receive his salvation, we come under his lordship. We come under his authority. We say we give our lives to you, that Jesus would be Lord both of the dead and the living. But why dost thou, verse 10, why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand where? Before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall, what's the two words? Give account give account of who? Himself to God. We well, see here, we already looked at the idea of personal convictions, but I want you to notice this. There is, what we just read, it emphasized an individual accountability. An individual accountability. That each of us, as Christians, as believers, we are accountable to the Lord. And did you notice in verse 12, that it spoke, it spoke of 
a, or in verse 11, I'm sorry, it's actually verse 10. At verse 10, do you notice it spoke of a specific place? And where is that place that is spoken of in verse number 10? The judgment seat of Christ. Now, if you study the Bible, you'll find there are two judgments that are spoken of. There's a judgment called the great white throne judgment. And that is for those who have never accepted Christ as their savior. That is the judgment for sins. That is the judgment where if you do not have Christ, then you receive everlasting punishment. That's the great white throne judgment. But there's another judgment seat that is described for those of us who are saved, for those of us who are believers. That there is a day where each of us will stand before God and we will say, this is what I've done with the life that you gave me. These are the choices that I made. And it will either result in eternal glory and reward, or the Bible speaks in the book of 1 Corinthians about the fact that there are some that will suffer loss. They won't receive the, they'll, they'll receive eternal life, but they won't receive the rewards in heaven. And Paul reminds us, listen, there is a day coming where each person will give an account of their life to God. But do you know whose life you'll give an account for? Your life. You'll give an account for your life. Each person. Now, there are other layers of accountability. I believe that every father will give an account for his family. Every pastor, the Bible teaches us in Hebrews, will give account for his church. But ultimately, each and every one of us gives an account for ourselves. So the question isn't, well, I'm not going to do this because, you know, the pastor doesn't do this, so I'm not going to do it. Or this person in the church, they don't do this, so I, or I'm going to do this. or I'm No, the point is this. I have to make decisions in my life that honor God. You have to make decisions in your life that honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Not because you give account to anyone in this room or anyone out there, but because you will stand before God and answer for your life. And that's a sober thought for the Christian. It would be a tragic thing to receive the forgiveness and eternal life of Christ, but to have present a poor stewardship for my life and my family at the judgment seat. So the ultimate principle in all of this, in areas of disagreement, is to recognize I make my decisions because I give an answer to God. And all my brothers and sisters in these, dis dis these areas of disagreement, they answer to God. They don't answer to me. And that is both challenging on the one hand and liberating on the other hand. That I, my primary concern isn't what's going on in everybody else's life. I have enough struggles in my own life that I need to work, in, work on. I need, God, I need God's grace in my life. And so the ultimate question for us is this. Obviously, first and what we saw here firstly was if you have an attitude or if you just, if you maybe like to argue over disagreeable or questionable things, you may want to reevaluate that attitude based on what scriptures say here. 
if you view other people with judgmentalism based on their view versus your view, you're going to need to surrender that to the Lord too. But then the ultimate question is this. Are you, as a Christian, fully surrendered to God's will for your life? Can you honestly say that the choices that you've made are not based on your desires, but they're based on Jesus being Lord of my life? That's the Christian life. It's walking each day surrendered to the Lord. And I, my favorite part in this passage is this. It's Romans 14 and verse number 8. Whether, therefore, whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. This is how Christians deal with disagreements. Surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. My, the other important question that I always ask toward the end of the sermon is this, though. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because this passage, really the, the, the wisdom and the discernment for how to live and how to please God, if you say, you know, I don't even ever think about pleasing God in my life. My life is just about what I want to do. Well, that is because you've never seen yourself as a sinner in need of a Savior. You've never seen the reason Jesus came. Jesus came to set us free from our sinful choices. He came to set us free from the penalty of our sin. And he offers us salvation and forgiveness by faith. That's the starting point. And we enter into that relationship with Christ and he guides us each and every step of the way. Have you ever received Christ as your Savior? Or are you living your life according to your own desires, your own will? Today, Christ invites you to receive him by faith. Would you pray with me? Let's bow our heads, close our eyes this morning. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Has there been a time in your life where you have repented of your sin and asked Christ to save you? If not, I'd invite you to do that right now. Whether you're watching or you're in the room, you can pray something like this to the Lord. It's the, it's the, it's the belief in your heart, not the prayer that saves. But if you would pray something like this, Dear God, I do admit to you that I'm a sinner. Lord, my choices are sinful. My behaviors are sinful. Lord, I need your forgiveness. Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again. And I receive you today as my Lord. Please save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. If you've never done that, I'd invite you right now, ask the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior. In the rest of the quiet time that we have, if you're a Christian and you'd say, boy, this kind of hit home to me. Some areas of my life where I've looked down on others, or there's some areas of my life where I've, I'm just not, I'm not even making faith-based decisions. Let me take a moment as the instruments softly play. Ask God to just speak to your heart. Help him to guide your choices. Guide your decisions as you walk, as we all walk by faith with him. We're so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, 
and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.